And welcome to another Favorite Things. I'm Mark, and this is... I'm Betsy. Yes, she is. Uh, (laughs) And this week, uh, we are going to be talking about another odd pairing, just like peanut butter and halibut. uh, What? Ah, I wonder if that's any good. To... uh, To come at you with the various tastes of myself and my bride as we discuss some of our favorite things. Um, So once again, ladies first this week, we are going to be talking about a rom-com of your choosing. Yes. Um, You do know it doesn't have to be a rom-com, but since that's one of your favorite things, it can be expected. Yes, romantic comedies are great. So what was your selection this week? I chose... I gave you the choice between two, and you chose Sleepless in Seattle. What was the other one? While you were sleeping. They were both Bill Pullman movies. Well, they're not. Sleepless in Seattle has Bill Pullman in it, but they both had... At some point, we will do Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, er... (laughs) Sorry, guys. Full transparency. We're recording that this at the end of a work day. Yeah. As opposed to on a day off. Uh... We're already so, kind of done. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's okay. We're going to give you 100% of what we've got, which might be 5%, but we're going to hey. give you 100% of it. Um, <laughs> no, uh, While You Were Sleeping, both are sleepy Bill Pullman movies. Yes. Um, we will cover While You Were Sleeping at some point. Yes. Um, but I literally pulled up uh, the uh, real movie guide and typed in sleep and sleepless in Seattle was the first thing Uh so I pulled it up. So a fun fact about me while you were sleeping so we'll take out like all like the old classic like Cary Grant type movies that I grew up watching. Yes. While you were sleeping was the first modern rom-com rom-com that I ever saw and I saw it with my parents. Uh Uh-huh. Well it's rated P. What year did it come out? 95, I believe. Okay, so yeah, I was about 15. But up until then, I'd only ever seen classics. We never watched the up-to-date um, romantic comedy type movies. It was always the old classics that were made in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Well, I, I love old Sandy Bullock, so we'll, yeah. we we might have to do a mini-series that's just Sandy Bullock uh, rom-coms. <laughs> um, anyway. Do the net in there at some point. Um, <laughs> not a rom-com, at least not traditionally. Um, so, yeah, uh, I picked While You Were Sleeping, uh, it's a Nora Ephron, uh, romantic comedy, which is really strange because in the whole movie, the two love interests say three words to each other. Yeah. Um, and as I noted while we were watching the movie, it is not a traditional romantic comedy in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so much so that I, I mentioned that if you change the music <laughs> from the whimsical score whenever Meg Ryan's on screen and you make it more ominous, it becomes a psychological thriller where she is stalking Tom Hanks and his son. Yeah. Um, now, all of that goes to perception. I, re- I remember an episode of How I Met Your Mother and the episode was talking about everything is dependent on the receiver of a gesture. And it could be cute or crazy. And depending on how it's received, it could be cute 
we're crazy. Yeah. And so this uh, <clears throat> this movie is the biggest demonstrator of it in that stepping back from Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan being America's Sweethearts, this is the biggest, biggest case of cute or crazy. Yes. So watching it now, uh, almost 30 years divorced from when it came out, is it really 30 years old? No, almost. It's 2022. There's approximately one to two more years, and this movie is 30 years old. Well, I'm so old, y'all. <laughs> we all knew it. We were going to move right past it. Because um, I remember when it came out. And I remember. I'm only 40. One. Uh, <laughs> what you didn't hear was the look I gave my wife calling her on only being 40. Because um, I'm 41. Anyhow, trying to move past the awkwardness <laughs> and failing miserably. Uh, yes, this movie is almost 30 years old. It It is a different place in time, both in filmmaking and in uh, how we view certain gender politics, things like that. How did this movie hit you watching it uh, just a couple of days ago in 2022? Um... I gotta think about that. It's, uh, yeah, there's a... <laughs> so full full transparency for those of you who are listening, uh, not that we keep anything from you, but uh, typically when we do this podcast, we if we're doing television series, we watch them throughout the week. If we're doing a movie, we, we typically do it on a Friday night or a Saturday before recording on Saturday afternoon. Uh, this week, we watched everything and we're done with it by Saturday. And then we watched it Friday night. Like I said, yeah. by Saturday. And then proceeded to take two days off because it was a really long week that last week. It was a really long weekend. <laughs> and it was a really long weekend. So, with all of that in front of you, we have a little yeah. bit more gap between. And I love my wife, but she is not the quickest computer when it comes to <laughs> no. pulling up old information. It's so, booting. now that I have stalled for approximately two minutes, yeah. uh, what were your general feelings on the movie? You don't need to give us yeah. a play-by-play. -play. We're just talking about general feelings right now. I mean, I think I still love it. There's a lot of, uh, you know, I like all the throwbacks to Cary Grant and A Fair to Remember kind of stuff and that, you know. Sometimes it's like really weird when you think about like the whole uh, uh, Empire State Building thing. And I bet every so often they probably have a lot of people meeting at the Empire State Building. But. Yeah, I, I honestly, watching this movie, I am, I'm amazed at a few things. One, I still, in spite of all my objections of how weird certain leaps in logic yeah. in this movie are, I find it incredibly charming. Yes. I find it incredibly earnest. I find it incredibly uh, entertaining. And it's... We watched last year You've Got Mail, which is a, basically a spiritual sequel to this. Yeah. Um, for those of you wondering, spiritual sequel is when a film is not an actual sequel, but you use similar properties... Uh, and you make something that would play out um, using what you learned from the previous version. Mm -hmm. 
that's a spiritual sequel. It doesn't have any of the same characters. It may not even use the same setting, but... It has the same actors. It uses <laughs> similar pieces from a similar director yeah. to create a product that works in a similar way. Going back to You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail is a mean movie. Whereas Sleepless in Seattle is very endearing and is very kind. You've Got Mail is very mean and very cynical. Yeah. And uh, I love both. Yeah. Both are, are great romantic comedies, um, but both have massive leaps in logic that you kind of have to look at through the lens of the time and the place and uh, even suspending your disbelief to enjoy the, the movie. And... This movie is a fun ride. It's still a fun ride yeah. now. Uh, you kind of look at it and you go, yeah, it's really weird. Um, Meg Ryan's character is very interesting to me in that from the get-go, she is trying to talk herself out of her relationship with Bill Pullman before yeah. Tom Hanks ever enters the picture, even his voice, she is trying to talk herself yeah. out of this relationship. It's like, there's nothing really wrong with him. He's just a, he's a great guy, but he's a... He's there. He's there. He's there. And she's always talking about how lovably average he is. And, and literally any time she says anything that is... She's attempting to compliment him, and it always comes off sounding so half-assed. Yeah. And everybody rolls their eyes. Her parents, uh, her in-laws, her <laughs> friend, all of them roll their eyes. Yeah. And they never say, well, I guess this will be a good starter marriage for you. Right. And, uh, which is an actual phrase, believe it or not, uh, <laughs> for some of you out there. But it's this expression on their face. And nobody believes in this relationship. And I feel so bad for Bill Pullman. And I'm going to be honest. In most rom-coms, unless the the first guy or, or, or first significant other is just an incredibly evil character, I'm rooting for the original couple. Yeah. Um, or at least the original individual not to get their heart broken. And Bill Pullman in this, I started making fun of it early on and kind of had to scale myself so I didn't ruin the movie. I'm like, how dare he? How dare he be himself? How dare he have allergies? How dare he not be Tom Hanks? Yeah. And watching watching this movie, Tom Hanks uh, basically is entirely ambivalent to everything that's happening in the movie unless his son does something insane. Like call a radio station. So, so <laughs> there are, let me think, one, two, three, maybe four moments in the movie that his son, Jonah, I got the name right. Yes, right? Jonah. Does something insane and that's the moment where Tom Hanks is like, oh, got a parrot. Yeah. And the first is calling the radio station to say my dad needs a wife. The next is 
when he's actually starting to try to date again, his son flips the freak out and screams. Uh, and then the next time is, I want to say his son has snarky remarks about the woman he's dating. Yeah. And then the next time is his son runs away from home to New York City. Yeah, and his, his little girlfriend helps get him an airplane ticket. Yes. <laughs> and all of this, uh, never mind the fact that his son could be charged with, you know, uh, a crime. Yeah. Uh, is and Tom Hanks could have DCS called on him. Um, <laughs> these are the only moments where Tom Hanks really engages the plot. The rest of the time, Tom Hanks is gloriously ignorant of everything going on because at the first half of the movie, because the movie for Tom Hanks really gets divided right down the middle. The first half of the movie is Tom Hanks mourning the death of his wife yeah. and trying to figure out how to cope. And then the back half of the movie is, I want to move on. And so those are the two halves of the movie for Tom Hanks. First half of the movie is, I have lost my wife, the love of my life, the mother of my son, I have lost her, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to live. And then about midway through the movie, he's visited by the ghost of his wife, um, played by Carrie Lowell. I think I got the name right. Uh, either current or former spouse of Richard Gere. Um, I don't remember if they're still married or not. I don't follow celebrity gossip like I used to. Anyhow, uh, he's visited by the ghost of his wife. And he figures out, especially after his son has been acting up like this, I need to move on. He needs a mother. Yeah. Um, and starts dating. Uh, and... Then the back half of the movie is him trying to figure out, okay, there's this girl who's, for lack of a better term, she's easy. And I don't necessarily <laughs> mean in a sexual way. I mean just she's there, there's a connection. Yeah. And even though there's stuff that annoys me about her, it's been so long since I've dated, I don't really want to have to try. And everyone's kind of pointing out all the flaws and he's trying to figure out, okay, do I settle or do I, I yeah. keep looking? But it's still that continuous journey of trying to move on. And the end of the movie, I do appreciate that it's ambiguous what happens uh, yeah. with him and Meg Ryan, uh, but I think that makes it more romantic than anything they could have done if they continue the story beyond it. Yes. Um, especially with the set of circumstances that they've built up. Because right. there's all sorts of potential fallout you would have to deal with at the same time. Right. So, Meg Ryan is a story of a woman who I don't really understand what she does. Uh, other than she seems to come from a very wealthy family. Yeah. Uh, the statement I, I said at the beginning of this movie is everyone has rom-com appropriate jobs. Tom Hanks is an architect, yes. so he doesn't need to go into the office all the time, and he can basically just have a room in his house, house with a desk of like maybe three drawings of, of houses <laughs> that are all the same house, and and he's a successful ar architect, has plenty of money to have a house right on the right on the ocean in Seattle. And then uh, over on the East Coast, 
you've got Meg Ryan and her family who are all ridiculously wealthy living in these hundred year old homes, having multiple bottles of wine with their Thanksgiving right. dinner for their family. And I don't remember where they're from Maryland. I don't know. It's, it's like they just, they bought all of the sets to white people the movie and just, <laughs> yeah, it is uh, I, the least ethnically diverse rom-com. Anyhow, yeah. so she is kind of engaged to uh, Bill Pullman. Yeah, well, they said they're engaged and she had a ring. Yeah, it's just, it, there's no romance they're living yeah. together they're sleeping together but there's no romance yeah. and they are like i said peanut butter and halibut they're they are <laughs> sleepless in seattle and wandavision they are two things that <laughs> sure you can watch them but like are they a good pairing i don't know i hope it makes a better podcast than, <laughs> than bill pullman and meg ryan um I'm a big Bill Pullman fan, so I, I appreciate seeing him in whatever. But they it's obvious that she doesn't want to be in this relationship, but she is so caught up in comfort that she refuses to rock the boat. And at the same time, all of her family's like, well, he's there. Yeah. And that's all he has to do. Yeah. And at the same time, she's wanting romance, but she's never willing to admit to anyone yeah. except her best friend, played by Rosie O'Donnell, that she desperately wants romance and something... But yeah, she doesn't... But every time the subject comes up, she always says, like, oh, but I so desperately want to marry... She she does... Bill Pullman. She does what I do whenever I'm trying to talk myself out of buying the thing I want to buy. Oh, I can't afford that. You know what? I don't need that. You know what? I guess I could wait. And then the next thing you know, I've got my credit card out and I'm sitting here and I'm... <laughs> and it's, it's this thing where she's fixating on it and she keeps going over it. And out loud, she's like, oh, all the reasons I can't do this. But inside, she's like, but I really want to. <laughs> and it's, it's this weird merry-go-round that she keeps doing and... Like, she takes a trip out to Seattle at one point. Yeah. Uh, she's listening to the radio show over and over. She writes a letter. And it's... There's even a point where Tom Hanks is getting all of these letters from these various women who yeah. have who have heard his story. And he makes a comment. It's kind of creepy that these people who've never met me are basically propositioning him. Yeah. And while Jonah's sitting there being like, what about this one or this one? And then he got the letter from Annie. Yes. And Meg Ryan. And so he... So I would argue that this isn't a love story between Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. This is a story, a love story between Meg Ryan and the little boy. But not in a creepy way. I don't know. It's kind of creepy. But <laughs> it's it's a maternal yeah. uh, to, to child. It's and him it, wanting to choose his and, mother. And, yes. And, and the child's desire for a mother. It's yeah. that love story. It, it is not a romantic love story so much as a a desire for for him for maternal love and for her to find romance and adventure. Yeah. And and meanwhile, Tom Hanks is kind of in the passenger seat or in the back yeah. seat along 
for the ride. He's going on with his life, not even realizing everything that Jonah's doing to sabotage it. Now, something I appreciate about this movie, um, somewhat, and and I'm just now processing this. So yeah. it's this is a raw thought. This literally, <laughs> I don't. It's probably undercooked. <laughs> Most rom coms that I remember seeing that come before this movie are about the man fixating on the woman. This is a rom-com about a woman fixating on a man. Mm -hmm. And in most every one of those rom-coms, it is about the fixation on the idea of a woman and then coming to terms with what the woman actually is. Mm -hmm. And this, it never really gets to her figuring out who he really is, but it is that pursuit of what she thinks she wants. Yeah. So, it's an interesting flip. Yeah. I have to think on that. Yeah, it's yeah. it is a half-baked idea at <laughs> best. This is not thought out. This is off the cuff, off the top of the dome. Just I'm I'm thinking about the movie as we're talking about it and it's got very interesting dynamics. I don't know if they're good or not, but they're interesting. And what is good is the acting. Yeah. And everyone sells it with the exception of the beginning of the movie when Meg Ryan fake cries and obviously used uh, water spray to do it, as opposed to Rita Wilson, Tom Hanks's actual wife, who plays his sister, who actually cries when she's talking about an affair to remember. Yeah, that's hilarious. The this movie is is incredibly well directed, uh, written and directed by Nora Ephron, uh, who wrote and directed a ton of rom coms that you will likely hear about on this uh, show and others. Um, her last movie being Julie and Julia, which is another movie that we watched just recently yeah. and we will likely go over again. Yeah. Um, but she has a way of casting perfectly, of writing such clever, witty banter for people to tennis, uh, volley back and forth with each other. And it, it makes for immensely watchable comedy. So I've been going on and on about this because it's been a couple fine. days. What what else stands out to you about this movie? So one of the things, you know, we kind of hit on, like, is, um, you know, you have Annie and Rosie O'Donnell sitting there um, watching The Fair to Remember. Yeah. They keep going back to watch that movie multiple times throughout this movie. Yes. And, uh, you know, so she, Annie's talking about, like, Sam and all the things that like oh I wish I could do this or that and this poor little boy who doesn't have a mother and oh but I'm gonna marry Walter I am so gonna marry Walter I'm so in love with Walter and then it would just show like Rosie O'Donnell would just look at the camera and just roll her eyes like she knows that she does not love Walter yeah and that is most definitely <laughs> a pickup shot uh, yeah. watching the movie <laughs> but it was just Throughout the movie, it was little things like that. Anytime Annie was talking about Walter, and you could tell she's trying, like you said, she's trying to talk herself into being in love with him, and everybody around knows that she really does not want to be with him. He's a great guy, and she knows he's a great guy, so she can't justify. She feels like she should be in love with him, but she's not, and yeah. that's okay. Yeah, she is. But she doesn't think, think that. She is living out the concept of, on paper, they would be great together, but... In actuality, they they're just kind of there, and yeah. they're just kind of cohabitating, and 
it's it's this issue that a lot of people who typically they find that sort of awkward state in the relationship a few years into marriage. Yeah. But they're they not are <laughs> they're not even married. They're just starting to talk specifics on a wedding. Yeah. And they're already bored with each other. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, I'm like, that's the point at which I'm like, you know what? Can we talk about this? Yeah, good. Something needs to be different. Now, what I do like is when they do sit down and have a conversation. Yeah. And she comes clean about Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, yeah, that was the that was the name of the they named Tom Hanks. Yeah, that's that's Sam. his. Yeah, that's his nickname uh, on the radio station. And when they sit down and she confesses that I don't have feelings for you, but I've got feelings for a guy I've never met, he has, again, Bill Pullman is an underappreciated actor. I think Bill Pullman deserves a lot more props for his work as uh, both a star and as a supporting actor, but he has this look of disappointment but at the same time yeah i get it yeah there's almost relief between both of them yes because they're not playing i always make a joke about relational chicken yeah it's it's when two people they're not really sold on each other but they keep moving towards each other because that's what you're supposed to do right and and they're just doing it for the sake of doing it and and not really Neither one of them is all in. Right. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. I mean, I always, I always feel b- bad for Bill Pullman for Walter in this because you know, he well, is like he is a great guy, and there's well, nothing. You know, I made the comment that uh, the the movie that comes out a year after this, he is he has moved to Chicago, changed his name, yeah. reconnected with his old family. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, has has started a furniture business. There you go. But uh, but yeah, you just but yeah, that scene. It's like okay, she hands him the ring. He just kind of puts in pocket. It's like all right, have a you know, they leave each other. Have a great life. You know, I wish you luck. And she's he's like, you should go to the Empire State Building. And she's like, oh, they won't be there. He's like, but they could be. Yeah, and he. He cares enough for her because they had a deep enough friendship to have a relationship that he's like, hey, I know we didn't work out, but you might want to try this so you don't have regret. Yeah. Because initially she wasn't going to go to the Empire State Building because she did not think they were going to be there. She, I think she knew... Did she know that she was communi- communicating with the kid? I don't remember if she knew that or if, the kid, if he was writing it as Sam. I don't remember the details but on that. Anyway. So... Real quick, we got to make a call. Yeah. Are we going to wrap up in the next three, or are we going to go for another bit? I think we could wrap up in the next three. I don't need to talk on this for another hour. So, okay. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't have that much to say, or I'll, or I'll just give it the breakdown like I did last time, and that's probably not necessarily what people want to hear. It's okay. <laughs> I will say, if you haven't seen this in a while, go watch it again. It Sleepless in Seattle holds up. It's a very sweet movie. I love it. It is very much a product of the times. It uh, it has an amazing cast, amazingly written dialogue, great direction, a pretty decent soundtrack, um, <laughs> and it's on eight, uh, HBO Max, I believe. Mm-hmm. 
or was it Amazon Prime? It's one of I those. I don't remember. Anyhow, uh, Google it. You can literally go on IMDb, uh, fun fact, and if it's on one of the major streaming services, it will tell you where you can watch it. Uh, but uh, that's all we've got to say about Sleepless in Seattle. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the finale of WandaVision. And we're back, and we're talking about WandaVision for the second time. For the second time. Uh, so, full transparency, uh, we're doing that a lot tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving my job in the not-too-distant future, and, uh, and I currently have a, a myriad of interviews, phone interviews, and interested parties who are contacting me, and one of them called while we were recording on my cell phone. And apparently I didn't hit stop recording. And so there is a long stretch of me talking on the phone with an interviewer. And I decided that wouldn't make a good podcast. So now we're going to talk about WandaVision. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you what happens in the three episodes we watched. We will talk about how we feel about them. I apologize it's not the first time. So there probably won't be the same emotion. Banter. But whatever. <laughs> it's that kind of day. It has been that kind of day. So, uh, episode seven, uh, we are uh, catching up with Wanda in the aftermath of expanding the hex. Uh, very uh, twenty teens uh, sitcom. Very Office or Modern Family. Uh, Darcy is inside uh, the hex uh, where she is part of the circus. Uh, which is where Vision meets her and unlocks her mind. Uh, and he is trying to get back to Wanda, just kind of every step they take to get closer, uh, things are popping up to keep him away. At the same time, Monica is trying to get into the hex, uh, tries to take like a space rover, a uh, space rover gets hung up and spit out. But she ends up diving through and is transformed into something else. Uh, comic book fans know this transformation as turning her into Photon. Um, at the same time, Wanda is dealing with what seems to be a case of clinical depression and does not want to get out of bed or go outside or do much of anything. And so along comes Agnes, who takes the kids away uh, to get them out of Wanda's hair. Monica makes it to Wanda's house, confronts her about everything going on. Agnes comes and splits them up and takes Wanda in where she can't find her kids. And we are suddenly confronted with the fact that Agnes is really Agatha and it was Agatha all along. Uh, Agatha is the one who has been snooping and kind of stirring things up behind the scenes uh, and also killed the dog, uh, which is really messed up. But she has a really catchy tune to it that you can listen to on Spotify called Agatha All Along. Uh, the end of this episode is Monica trying to sneak into Wanda's house when fake Pietro grabs her and says, Snooper's gonna snoop. And we go to episode eight. Episode eight called Previously On 
starts with Agatha being confronted by other witches in Salem, Massachusetts around the time of the Salem witch trials. And uh, they try to stop her. Apparently she's been doing not nice things and she sucks all of the energy and life force out of them. Uh, There is a brief moment where she says, I can be good. And the witch confronting her says, no, you can't before Agatha kills her. Agatha then takes Wanda on a trip through memory lane, interrogating her, trying to figure out where she got her power because she has been controlling an entire town, apparently through magic. Uh, Wanda says, it's not magic I've got. These are just abilities. And Agatha, again, takes her on a trip through her past. We visit such moments as the night her parents died. Uh, In the process, we see that her parents introduced her to sitcoms, which is really how they learned English. Sitcoms such as The Dick Van Dyke Show, Brady Bunch, uh, Malcolm in the Middle, all on DVD. Uh, We then jump ahead to when she's being experimented on by Hydra in a lab. Uh, And it's where her powers are really unlocked by the Soul Stone. For those of you who don't know, the Soul Stone is the object in the center of Vision's forehead. Um, We then jump ahead to right after Wanda's brother Pietro has been killed in Avengers Age of Ultron, and Vision comforts Wanda, saying, I don't understand what it's like to lose anything because I've I've just arrived. I've, I've not always been here, but I know it can't always be like this. And what is grief but love enduring? And we find out that in this interaction, they made a connection. And then we find out after Avengers Infinity War and after uh, Avengers Endgame, Wanda went to find Vision's body after Vision was killed in Avengers Infinity War. Uh, And she goes and finds that it was being dissected um, because it's a robot body. They were treating it like a weapon, like a nuclear warhead. And instead of the footage that we were shown earlier in the series where we were told that Wanda stole the body, Wanda left. And then promptly went to Eastview to view a piece of property that the Vision had bought for them to share after everything was over. And seeing the home, the, the deed with Vision... Uh, writing for us and a heart she breaks down and creates a whole black and white world around her and a new vision and Agatha slow claps as everything fades away and says you spontaneously created I know what you are and then leaves. When Wanda leaves, Agatha is all in witch uh, outfit and makeup and uh, has her children by the neck and says, I know exactly what you are. You're something they warned us about. You're called the Scarlet Witch. And this is how the episode ends, but not before a post-credit sequence where we're introduced to what happened to Vision's body. It was rebuilt as a new Vision. Uh, and the, we're just going to call him jerky McJerkface. Uh, the, (laughs) the guy in charge of all of sword, uh, uses the drone that Wanda threw at him earlier in the series 
to power up uh, this new vision. We roll into the finale with a bunch of conflict and a bunch of climax. Um, basically, it boils down to this. Uh, Agatha is confronting Wanda. Uh, the sword agents are trying to get into the to the hex. Uh, the new vision is out to stop Wanda and Monica is just trying to escape from fake Pietro. All right, so let's break this down one piece at a time. Uh, Monica eventually overpowers fake Pietro, who we find out is actually a gentleman by the name of Ralph Boner. Laugh right now at the Boner joke and move on. Uh, we then move on to Wanda at Agatha's behest, having to confront all of the people that she has psychologically tortured in this town. Wanda, overpowered by guilt, lets the people go, but as she starts to lift the hex, Vision and her two children start to disintegrate. All the people get out, so she lowers the walls, and the fight continues. Uh, sword agents ma manage to make their way inside the hex. Meantime, the new Vision is attacking Wanda, and our hex Vision uh, saves her. So we're going to split these conflicts off so I can talk about them somewhat sensically because I am not a film. I am a person and I can only deal with things one at a time. So, uh, sword agents are coming in. Those sword agents are all dealt with by either Wanda's kids or Photon, Monica Rambeau. Uh, we have, uh, New Vision versus Hex Vision and Wanda versus Agatha. Uh, New Vision and Hex Vision face off. It's kind of a stalemate physically. They're both the same being. Uh, and then eventually uh, Hex Vision engages New Vision in a conversation about logic, about who he is. And this eventually is resolved by the uh, classic metaphor of the ship of Theseus. Um, and if you don't know what that is, you can Google it. Uh, the end result though, is that both visions decide that they, neither of them is the real vision and both of them are the real vision. Um, Hex vision re returns the memories to new vision who promptly takes off and leaves this mini series. Um, he won't be back at least for a bit, but I have a feeling we will see him again at some point. Uh, that was a horn. Okay. Anyhow, not on the podcast. We are going to continue on. Yep. No more interruptions. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, we we get uh, sword is getting wrapped up, uh, Miss. Mr. Jerky McJerkface uh, attempts to to shoot kids. Photon stops him, and then as he attempts to drive away in a car, Darcy comes and just pancakes him. He's alive and fine because this is a family show. Um, but then the final confrontation is between Agatha and Wanda, and we've got magic blasts just happening all over the place, and uh, Agatha is just slowly sucking all of Wanda's vision, uh, all of Wanda's powers out so that she can absorb all the power for herself. Exactly what she did 
with the witches in Salem. And then eventually Wanda is looking like a mummy. She's just desiccated. And all of a sudden she looks up, opens her eyes, and Agatha is about to snap her fingers and and show off and nothing happens. And all of a sudden we see what Wanda's been doing. She has been casting these magic runes that stop Agatha from using her power. Um, just like Agatha used on Wanda in the previous episode. So Wanda stops Agatha, dead in her tracks, takes her down. Agatha thinks she's about to be killed, but Wanda says, no, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to let you live as Agnes and seals her inside of her own brain, which is awful. Um, it's the same torture that she's done to everybody in this town from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, Wanda realizes she has to lower the hex, talks to Monica Rambo. She goes, I'll take care of this. She and the family go back to the house. She tells her children goodbye for one last time. Thank you for letting me be your mom. And I teared up a little bit earlier talking about this the first time we were talking about this episode, and I'm tearing up thinking about it again. Um, she and Vision then go downstairs and talk as the Hex is moving in, and he asks her, what am I? And she looks him in the face and says, you're my grief and my love and my joy. And she kisses him, and then the Hex closes and he disappears and Vision and her children are gone and she's left standing in the unfinished property that Vision bought for her. And as she shuffles away, she apologizes, but the damage has been done. She has taken time and life and energy from the people of this town and given pain. And she flies off and that's the end of the episode, except it's not because this is Marvel and we've got end credit scenes. So... Photon meets up with a scroll. Those are the shape-shifting aliens from Captain Marvel. Um, is it, and is informed that there is someone in outer space who wants to talk to her. Um, we can infer that this is Nick Fury. Um, then we go over to Eastern Europe where Wanda is sitting in a cabin. Uh, just sipping tea. Except, no, inside her astral form is reading through a dark magic book. Um, this is a book we will come to know as the Dark Home. And WandaVision is done. So, oh, I've done this twice now. Yes. All right. You were right there, right at the end when you I was right, right at so the end when the like, phone rang. Oh, my goodness. Anyhow, uh, so, uh, I love this show. I, I love, first of all, I love comic book stuff. Um, I love comic book stuff with lesser characters from other projects but I really love this as a character study if you view the entire series um, of grief and the first episode is really about denial and um, in the same way that Bewitched is, is kind of about denial it's you know everything's fine everything's fine no there's no magic going on here and it's all about denial and then you'd go through bargaining and it's okay things are a little weird but we're gonna we're gonna make the most of it and all the way up through there's anger and then there's 
depression. And finally at the end of this is Wanda approaching acceptance. I don't know if she's achieved acceptance or not, but I think she's approaching acceptance. And the reason I say I don't know if she's achieved it is because we are being informed via the new Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness trailers that Wanda might be a bad guy. Um, I don't want that to happen. I've got to be honest. uh, At the end of this show, Wanda kind of is a bad guy, though. And so whether that's who she is as an identity or not is an interesting debate to have, but her, by her actions at this point, she's a bad guy in the same way that Thanos is a bad guy. Thanos's intention is to bring peace and balance to the universe, but he's going to kill half the universe to do it. Yeah. So whatever your intentions are, if you do something bad, that's bad. Yeah. So at least in action, one is a bad guy. I, I love Wanda, and I hear where she's coming from, and yeah. I feel for her, and I empathize with her. But what she did was bad. Yeah. So, and, and that's what makes it all the more hard when watching this is, I remember talking about WandaVision last year after we finished the show, and how it was a beautiful piece on grief, especially coming out of the first really the first big leg of the pandemic kind of mourning everything we lost in a year yeah and and WandaVision was a a point in time really and and even this year mourning yet another year where were things better yeah but they weren't anywhere near what we wanted them to be and really processing that mourning that and even seeing where we made compromises and got angry or got bitter about things and working through them for those of you who don't know I use my television as a form of therapy um, <laughs> but it really does help by having some distance in this character process grief and I appreciate that I, I appreciate this beautiful limited is it perfect no this this show has all kinds of flaws and and limits that maybe a a bigger budget might have filled in some of the gaps or or covid not being a thing might have made more accessible but for what it was and and i want to take this show for what it was not what it could have been but what it was it was a great piece on grief and it really spoke to me and I really enjoyed it for that and it also did some really neat things with Marvel characters who hadn't gotten a lot of play before now like the Vision is basically a a super powered handgun in the Avengers movies and then all of a sudden he's a character in this like with motivations and thoughts and feelings and and desires um, that we got a little bit of it in Avengers Infinity War, but not much. Yeah. And this, it actually gets to play out. And I look forward to what the future of that character looks like. Yeah. Especially since we know there is a vision out on the loose now. Yeah. And he has the memories of the old one. And what's going to happen when he meets the Wanda who has taken these bad actions? 
what what's he gonna do what's he gonna say how's he gonna react um and at the end of this when wanda is peering through the dark home and she hears the cries of her children who don't exist what's that do to a person so i'm very interested to i'm very interested to see um uh and we're going to get to, at least in part, in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Now, is that another miniseries thing? Or is that no, movie? that is a movie coming out in May. Okay. Please. So, do you have anything else to say about WandaVision before I move on and talk about next plans? No, I think you covered it. I, I really like WandaVision, and it might be because the main character is a woman and Oh, it's I, a little bit more girly for me because I like girly things. So but. I like this because it plays with comedy. It plays with yeah. the psychology. But it's one, I think, I, out of all the ones that we've watched so far, it's one I've enjoyed the most. Okay. Now, I've enjoyed the um, the Star Wars. The, what's the first one? Mandalorian. Mandalorian. I, I really enjoyed the Mandalorian, and Boba Fett was pretty good. Yeah. But, um... I, as far as like uh, Marvel, I guess WandaVision is the one I've enjoyed the most. Okay. So the next one we're going to do is we're actually going to skip over uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier just because I don't believe it's going to play into Doctor Strange. We'll go over Falcon and the Winter Soldier leading into something else a little bit further down the road because it is leading to something but we got a little bit to get to it. Yeah. Uh, instead, we're going to be going over Loki. And Loki is going to deal with the multiverse. And it's really going to dig in deep on it. Whereas we talk a little bit about it on One Division, we're going to talk about it a lot yeah. uh, with Loki. Yeah, Loki was. I'll be interested to go back through that one with you because that one I had a really hard time following. So, time. so Loki, I'm really excited to watch because. I think it might be my favorite yeah. of, of all the things. First of all, I love Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Oh, yeah. Um, he is incredibly charismatic, and I can't think of another actor playing that role, um, which is ironic, and I'll tell you why when we get to the end of Loki. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to Loki. I'm really looking forward to Doctor Strange. This Thursday, unless something happens, we're going to see Batman. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be great. Yeah. So, uh, guys, thanks for hanging with us. Uh, thanks for dealing with our technical difficulties with us, um, <laughs> and dealing with us, dealing with our technical difficulties. Um, uh -huh. uh, we hope you've enjoyed sticking around for, uh, our peanut butter and halibut show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next week, Betsy will bring some sort of rom-com to the table and I will be bringing, uh, the first three episodes of Loki. So thanks for sticking around. Uh, we hope you'll stick around for more of our and hopefully your favorite things. Have a great week. Thank you for choosing something different. Yes. Bye. Bye.